The Last Supper with Steph DeSosa. Thanks for dropping by. Come and suss Steph's Life Spice. All her socials at spicysteph.com. So today we have Chef Scott Pickett on the podcast. He's a chef, author, award winner, restaurateur and owner of not one, but four establishments. So he's really quite a serious chef and I'm just hoping that I've got enough street cred to get me through this interview, to be honest. The one thing that drew me to him and why I think his Last Supper is going to be so interesting is that he's a country boy, but he's now living in the city, living this fantastic chef life. So I'm really excited to hear what he's got to tell us about his Last Supper. Feeling hungry? Drool over Steph's recipes at SpicySteph.com. Hi, Scott. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, pleasure, Steph. How are you going? Good, thank you. Are you in the restaurant as we speak? I am. I'm at a cell. I'm at a home base today. Are you? Are you in in the middle of prep land? We are in the middle of prep land, yeah. Normally in the mornings, I sort of get all my emails and paperwork and stuff done, and then I join the team in the kitchen about one or two Okay. in the afternoon, and then try and do service five, if not six nights a week in the restaurant. Oh, you do service yourself five or six nights a week. Yeah, yeah. I love service. It's the best part of the day. Service is unreal. The customers are in, we're cooking with the team, you know, working on staff guiding and mentoring. And yeah, it's fun. I still do service. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's great. It's where the adrenaline kicks in too, isn't it, during service? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's by far the best part of the day. I agree. I agree completely. Scott, I'm really curious about what your last supper is going to be because you grew up on a farm, is that right? I did. I grew up on a farm. I was born in Melbourne and then my father is from Adelaide. We moved there when I was about 12 and we bought like an acreage in a little town called Kangarilla. A half kangaroo and half gorilla. Uh, gorilla. It's a good yeah, name, yeah. isn't it? I loved it. When I read it, I thought, that's, that's the best name for a little town. <laughs> yeah, it is. The Kangi Boys. That's was our footy club and stuff. So, oh, really? Yeah, great little area. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's yeah, cool. yeah, great area. So what did your family grow? Did they grow or did they produce? What what was sort of farm? Well, we it? had all kinds of things over the years. So uh, ducks, chicken, big orchard that we planted. My family was there for 25 years until oh. about two years ago when my folks retired and it just got a bit much for them. Yeah, But they were there for a long time. Fruit trees, vegetables. We had calves, cows, 10 acres of vines, some olive trees, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, oh, great everything. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Did, they, did they produce some ingredients for your restaurants at all? They did. My mum over the years liked to do a first press of olive oil, so we'd get the first mm, press for about the last seven or eight years. Yeah, wow. And the old man was kind of like a sort of hobby winemaker, so he had a massive shed, um, you know, parked a tractor and a like dirt every bike good man and cars has. and everything, like every good man has. Massive. This was like probably enough to garage 12 or 14 cars, so pretty wow. big. So he sort of over the years accumulated a lot of stuff and some wine and some winemaking equipment, and they made their own wine for a number of years and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was a great experience, great place to grow up and to really understand where produce comes from, you know, the realities of eating uh, meat and poultry and that kind of stuff, as well as the seasons too, you know. Yeah, it doesn't just arrive all year round and in a plastic bag, does it? No, it doesn't. And, you know, we have lots of internationals that come through the restaurants, and I think one thing that they struggle with or find just, you know, different at first, is like in winter in Melbourne, there's strawberries that are available in the supermarket that are absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And they're like, chef, you know, I saw these great strawberries, we should be using this. I'm like, yeah, they're great. They're from Queensland. They're in peak in June and July. But in Melbourne, we're in the depths of winter. So yeah. we're very fortunate that we do have such a large country. Yeah. But 
in in the restaurants here, we really try to have a sense of place and we try to cook within the seasons in Melbourne. So I wouldn't use a strawberry in winter here, but if I had a restaurant in Brisbane or in Queensland somewhere, then I would definitely use you totally the strawberry would. in the season there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, of course. yeah, that makes perfect yeah, sense, doesn't it? And I think our bodies, yeah. our bodies crave for that seasonality 100%. as well. Yeah, because food's medicine, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> And I'm followed by the seasons and what my body wants to eat. Yes. Therefore, determines what I want to cook during that time. So in spring, by the time you come through all the long, cold winter, and in winter, that's when you want the meaty braises yes. and the stews and the heavier items. The root vegetables. And 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 that stuff, yeah. The root vegetables and things. Then you get out of that, and now we've just started spring. And all of a sudden, after three dark, wet, cold months, my body just wants to be alive. My body's feeling springish in a sense. Yeah, you know, freshness. I want all the greens. I want yes. my vitamins. I want, you know, everything that's flowering and blossoming and blooming. And then obviously you get the summer and it's a hot country, Australia. So, you know, you want to eat sort of lighter styles of stuff and you want sort of high acid in and your seafood in your, and things like um, that. Fruits and your seafood yeah. and things like that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's funny how... There's a natural path there that we just need to follow and then, you know, my job as a cook is to put those together and to make them yummy. Yeah, and, and to get people thinking too, right? Yep. Tell yep. Story. You know, what's around you, what you need. Look, obviously from a cost perspective, things are better in season. Yeah, of course. They're more abundant. They're yeah. When they're there, they're what you should be cooking and eating. Yeah. And that's sort of determined by the weather and the months and, and the seasons and our bodies, paramount. Yeah, and I think for me as a newbie, I guess, to the industry where I've gone from cooking for my family and now cooking for big groups and events, yeah. cost is a huge yeah. thing. So it makes good sense to cook seasonally, right? Yeah, yeah. but even if, look, you know, we have budgets in the restaurant, but if you're a home cook as well too, you don't yeah. want to be buying produce that's out of season. It's no. costing you a huge amount of money yes. because your shopping bill is just going to become Absolutely. huge. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Gets you thinking, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. Is this a five-headed iTunes podcast? If so, leave a review. If not... Scott, have you thought about what you might like your last supper to be? I have. I've given this lots of different thoughts over the years, actually. It always changes slightly. Yeah. But I'd probably have some, you know, to be honest, I, I love a good roast. Oh, I love true? a good roast. So they'd have to, yeah, I love roast. I love roast chicken. I love roast beef. That with duck fat roast and potatoes, oh, all the, the trimmings. Probably have three or four different types of potatoes. We oh, have roast potatoes, yeah. like a gratin dauphinoise as mm, well, yum. too, you know, laid, creamy and stuff. Probably a big bowl of, you know, truffled mashed potato as mm. well, too. So you can have different types of potatoes to go with, you know, your perfect roast chicken and perfect slow roasted river beef or maybe suckling pig or something as well, too. Yum. So you, um, you, you wouldn't just have one roast meat. You'd have like a selection of all different. Oh, a, banquet a banquet roast? A banquet, <laughs> completely, you know. It sounds like a chef. <laughs> yeah, lamb, game mm. birds, depending on where I was. Lots of different roast meats to sort of be the main attraction and the highlight. To start with, I think I'd probably just have an abundance of seafood. You know, mm, oysters yum. and prawns and yeah. mussels, octopus and calamari and yeah. lobster and smoked salmon and cured salmon, all those kind of things, you yeah. know, like to start with. And then it'd just be a little bit like part of the plug, but a little bit of my of my latest book is, you know, driven around family share style kind of things that I yes. want to eat on Sunday. So yeah. I think that'd be my dream meal. You'd sit there, a big table, and just fill it full of food. Yeah, I look, I, that is my favourite way to eat, family style. Yeah. Favourite yeah. way to eat. Yeah. So what's your new book called, Scott? 
It's called a marriage of flavours, uh-huh. uh, and it's based around sort of seasonality, broken into into four chapter into four major seasons, obviously. Yeah, and then things that we like to cook, you know, during those seasons, things that are around that time of year, and it's based at the home cook that can yeah. learn a few little tips, whether it be a market tip or a chef tip, or just little techniques and and tricks that I've picked up over the years that can make you enjoy that. You know, if there's friends and family around and we're having a like a big lunch or a celebration or a birthday or Christmas or something or, or just a big boozy get-together, yeah. then I don't want to be spending all my time in the kitchen, you know. I want to be yeah. pre-prepared and ready so that I can enjoy the time with them. Yes. And then, like, I don't want to be plating, you know, finicky little entrees and main courses and running around. I want it all there ready to go. Yeah. And we just, you know, we, we might reheat a little bit or, or be resting some meat or, you know, cooking some stuff on the barbie. And then just sitting down and enjoying it. And you know? enjoying it with, with everybody as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So have you got someone that you would like to cook your last supper for you? If I could have one person cook for me, yeah. it would probably be Paul Bacuse, actually. Oh, Mr. really? Bacuse. Wow. Yeah. Classical French stuff, banquets and buffets from the 70s and 60s, classic French food everywhere foie gras and truffle, like as well as asparagus, all those kind of things, you know, yeah. beautiful. Simple I would, classic flavours. Yeah, 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 exactly, sort of simple classic. And who would you want sitting at your table with you? Oh, at my table, that's always a good one. Obviously mm. my family, I'd like yeah, my of family course. there, my parents, my wife, my children, my grandmother and my grandfather I would love to have there as well too. So there'd be the sort of, you know, one half would be the family sharing it. Yeah. The other half would probably be, I'm a bit of a cricket tragic. Oh, so I really? I'd like to have the Don there. The Don oh, Bradford really? One of my guests. Yeah. Did you ever yeah, get I'd to like meet him? Talk. No, he passed away a number of years ago, but yeah. I did have some Bradman albums that when I was growing up in Adelaide, uh, he was in South Australia for many years yeah. and he signed my, my book, the Bradman albums that he has oh, and a couple of things wow. for him. So they're sort of pride of place prize at home. possession. There would definitely be Mr. Bacuse. I would like to have probably Metallica there. I'm a bit of a Metallica <laughs> fan. So How do you like think they're going to gonna, they're gonna get on with um, with Don? <laughs> I don't know. I might put Don up next to my grandma. I think it's a good idea. I might have Metallica down the end, I think. Oh, wow. That's so funny. Anyone else? Um, who else would I love? From a food perspective, I'd like to have some of the greatest chefs of all time. I'd like to have Kareem there, Joel Robichon there as well yeah. too, probably Thomas Keller wow. as well, you know, the big three or four down the yeah. end, and then probably a couple more athletes as well too, you know. I'm a massive Bomber supporter. Yeah. So probably like to have Kevin Cheedy down there as well, talking to the Don. Yeah. And maybe – I think they'd have a lot to say. Yeah, yeah, and maybe considering that he's had such a great sort of Ashes series at the moment, we put Steve Smith next to Don Bradman and they can decide who's number one. You know, maybe <laughs> with the late Richie Benno just chatting away, uh, you know, commentating yeah. there as well too. You know? Look, I just think he would hold court on the whole table, Richie Benno, don't you oh, think? Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah, completely. <laughs> I want to have some music, some sports stars and some great chefs there, you know, and my family. I think they're my three favourite genres, you know. It sounds like a beautiful table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah. yeah, it'd be fun. Grab a wine and DM Steph. She'd love to hear what your last supper would be and what wine you're drinking. Have you thought about what you'd serve for dessert? For dessert, I would love a pavlova. A pavlova? A and big what? pavlova, big pavlova. What's on the pavlova? Yeah. Mango and oh, strawberries yeah. and raspberries and passion fruit and cherries. And maybe my grandmother would make trifle because she made the best trifle. Oh. So she'd do trifle 
and bread and butter pudding was her other signature one. Oh, yeah. yum. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's such an old school Australian, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Did she make the custard yeah, with yeah. the custard powder? Yeah, yeah, of oh, course. That's of course. the best yeah, yeah, custard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, the best custard. The best custard. <laughs> yes. The stuff you grew up on. She'll always add a little bit of vanilla essence into there too. Yeah, just to make know. it extra special. Yeah, 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 maybe <laughs> Few rhubarb and some clotted cream and those kind of things, you know. Yeah. Was your grandma a good cook? She was a really good cook, actually. Really, really good cook. You know, we had, you know, typical Australian family would have a Sunday roast at Nan's house most weeks. Yeah. If we couldn't make the Sunday, then we'd do midweek on a Wednesday night, you know, slow Mm -hmm. roasted legs of lamb. um, From the farm? Bread and butter pudding. The farm normally, yeah. yeah, but she was in Melbourne, but she'd okay. either be sort of visiting us and doing that over there, or yeah. when we were here, so the younger children, she was here till about the 12, we'd do that once or twice a week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but great cook. You know, corned beef was one of her specialties as well, so all those old classics. Yeah, you know, you know I cooked a corned beef the other day for yeah. dinner, and my husband, who is from India, it was the first time I'd cooked it for him, and we've been together for like nearly eighteen years now. And I, yep, it was funny; yep. I just sort of stumbled across it in the butcher shop, and went, "Oh, I need to make that because that's yep. my childhood memory." And when he had it, he goes, "You know what? This is exactly like a Goan Indian roast. Yeah, it was oh, yeah. amazing yeah, yeah. with yep. the clove, yep. the vinegar. You know, yep. it was just amazing. Yeah. And the white sauce, you know, and then yeah. you do like a white sauce finish with loads of parsley and spring onions. Yes, and, you know, use the cooking liquor and a bit of milk. And yeah, did she and, cook you know, the vegetables in the liquid? Yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but the carrots would be off the side yep. and they'd be sort of cut up, and the onions in there as well too, and the celery and stuff, and the leek. Yeah, yeah, yeah it takes you back, it's doesn't beautiful. it? I've been yeah. corned beef for ages myself either, and I love carrots. You know? Yeah, I me too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so good, so good. Oh, yeah, so yummy. It's making my mouth water thinking about that now, all this beautiful (laughs) comfort food. I just love it. It's a really cold day here in Newcastle too, so it's one of those days where you could cook that. You know, those one-pot wonders as well too when it's a little cold too. I wouldn't mind a slow braise. Maybe Mr. Bakusa do me a classic dobe of beef or a beef bourguignon or something. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. So what what have you got on the menu tonight that's extra special? What have we got tonight? We're actually using a new... Well, it's a cut that I haven't used for many years, yeah. but it's a wonderful cut of Wagyu that's mm. called the Eye of Round. Oh. So it looks like a Durello or a corned beef on that subject or like an eye fillet, but it's yeah. one of the muscles from the leg. Now, in grass-fed and grain-fed meat, it can be like a little bit tough, but from Wagyu, it's absolutely stunning and it's a beautiful oh. size, great portion, dry aged for about 35 days from Mayora Station in South Australia. Yeah. Um, great Wagyu. Um, you know, marble score about seven or eight and wow. just beautiful meat. Wow. And it's got that wonderful texture of the sort of leg muscle yeah. um, where it's a bit firm but it's not too chewy, but it's got wonderful flavour profiles. You chew it, there's texture, the juice comes out. It's not as sort of lean as like an eye fillet or something. So it's yeah. a really good cross between a primary and then the secondary muscle. It's sort of packed full of flavour, but really it's not tough, but it's not sort of mushy either. It's got a really nice mouth. It's a That's nice one of my favourite cuts at the moment. Oh. Yeah, it is a really good texture. Like, like I like to chew meat. Yeah, you know, and not so that it's so tough that you chew it for like you know twenty minutes or half an hour. Yeah, but you chew it just enough that six, seven, eight sort of chews, and then yeah. bang, and it releases all those beautiful juices and the flavour yeah. profiles, and it's a little bit salty and fatty, and it's beautiful. Yeah. So are you? Are you yeah. a- You'd be not a sous vide man then, right? We've never really cooked sous vide, no. never really. The yeah. only thing 
that I've ever really used it for, funnily enough, is vegetables and fruits, yeah. really. They're, yeah. they're probably best in it if we're doing artichokes. You know, they're in season now too to stop them oxidising. If we're doing Whitlock or Endive in them, mm. rhubarb's really good, right? That's cooked sous vide in its natural juice or something yeah. in a sugar syrup. Or with peaches and stone fruits coming into season shortly at the end of spring is really good early summer. You know, those kind of things we cook sous vide. But yeah. everything else is really in the pan, you know, yeah. roasted slowly, gently, and just rested. I'm yeah, just, you I know, agree. nothing replaces butter and thyme and fat and garlic oh, in there, you know? No, nothing. And yeah. I find their texture is, I don't know, I almost feel <laughs> like you lose that beautiful texture when you see me somehow. You yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you do. It, it can be a little bit soft and mushy. Yeah, that's how I think too. Funky. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's a great way to control your cuisons and your degrees of doneness and things like that. But I like the team to have that feel of, of understanding how to roast a joint or, you know, to roast a chicken or to cook a piece of wagyu in a pan and to just finish it gently in the oven and then rest it and then just carve it, you know. There's something special about that and it's yep. a technique that we really embrace. Yeah, and I think you really get to understand the protein and what, yep. it, what it can and can't do when you're cooking it like yeah, that. Yeah, and a feel for it too. Yeah. They understand, you know, the heat, they're controlling the heat, they're controlling the pan, they're controlling how they're cooking it. I mean, these days, so we probably roast things a little bit slower than what we normally have. That's probably one of the changes that we really look at is rather than going into a really hot oven at 180 or 200 or 220, yeah. we'll seal it pretty heavy and now we'll cook it maybe 110, 120. So it's not as low as if you're cooking sous vide at 50, 60 or 70. Yeah but it's not as high as we probably used to 10, 15, 20 years ago. So it's a nice warm spot in the middle yeah. and it gives you a nice even cooking sort of medium. Like it takes a bit longer, obviously, so you've got to be a bit more organised, but yeah. the result is just a lot more easy. So much better. And yeah. It sounds great. Yeah. Now, just mm. before we finish up, Scott, one last question. Yeah. What was the last thing you ate? Last thing I ate is I had a banana smoothie for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Anything special? Seven or probably ten kilos. Oh so I just have. I ate a little bit much over winter. I've been out <laughs> in the So coming into summer, I just want to lose a little bit off the belly. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, so I'm having just sort of protein shake and starting my day with either a smoothie or a shake or some fresh fruit, and that's really it. Actually, just trying to vitamins. control it a little bit. Yeah, just trying to control it during the day a little bit. I mean, my problem, like a lot of chefs and cooks, is I eat at the wrong time of the day yeah. and I eat poorly. I graze throughout the day. I taste things in the kitchen all day and then I don't have big meals during the day and I get home at 11 or 12 and I'm famished. Yeah, because you I haven't actually go, eaten anything properly, have you? No, no, no. You've had, like, you've had little bits of stuff Tastes. and then I'm famished. So then I'll get into carbs and sugar and yeah. feel-good food and toasties late at night yeah. and then I'll go wild on those. And, yeah, when you've you probably know, already food. eaten your calories in taste testing all yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. have, I have. <laughs> well, I haven't eaten much during the day and then at midnight or 1am you have massive food or maybe barbecue shapes or something <laughs> terrible, you know, just, you know, yummy stuff that everybody yeah. likes to eat. Yeah, the and stuff that you have at midnight. Go to bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, and then it just sits snacking. there and turns into fat overnight. Yep. Yep, chef's yep. life. And then I'm yeah, and I'm like, I don't eat much. Where's this coming from? And then I look back and, you know, that's where it's coming from. Yeah, so but, just try to moderate that a little bit. Yeah. So, look, yeah. I think anything eaten after 11 p.m. doesn't actually count. I don't think it counts, but I think it definitely counts on the hip sort of way. I think you're right. I think it does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Scott, for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Yeah, pleasure, Steph. You too. If you don't follow Steph, book you. 
The links are all there at spicysteph.com.